in order to stop doubting, or in this case, to have faith, trust has to be built. Okay, but it's it's hard to trust a stranger or you know an occasional acquaintance. So when salvation actually occurs and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in, in our heart, let's think of that. That Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart. That's just the beginning of what should be a lifelong journey of getting to know God. The King's Council helps you discover, develop, and deploy your God-given talents and abilities. Now, our vision is to get you on the right path to your framework of success, focusing on the five power pillars, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and financial. Now, the King's Council is not your average coaching program. It's much more than that. It's a tribe of like-minded men and women bonded by faith and relationship that you can do life with. Join us in creating the next wave of kingdom entrepreneurs and becoming the CEO of your life by visiting kingscouncilcoaching.com and connect with one of our team members today. This episode is brought to you by Gospel Canvas. Gospel Canvas is reimagining Christian art for today's generation of Christians. Their exclusive collections are custom, unique, and a beautiful reminder of the power of salvation and hope. Now, these pieces will brighten up any space and add high character and motivation that you can see, touch, and experience on a daily basis. Visit gospelcanvas.com today and use the promo code KING15 to get 15% off your purchase at checkout. That's gospelcanvas.com using the promo code King 15. Enjoy the show. All right, all right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Council Podcast. I'm your host, Riley Meek. And today we're diving into the antidotes of the plagues of attitude. So if you heard the episode last week, we set up this concept or really just this this original thought process by the late, great Mr. Jim Rohn. He had identified the seven diseases of attitude. So we went through what those diseases are, really plagues. I, I called them plagues, the plagues of attitude. And it's one thing to identify them and know like what they are, but it's another thing to actually know what to do uh, to, to overcome those plagues. So I wanted to have this series. This is a, entirely, it's an eight-part series. We've talked about what those plagues are, and now we're going to dive into the antidotes, the antidote in a verb sense. So if, if we look at like what the antidote does or what it, I mean, the purpose of it is to really to counteract or to cancel and that's what we're going to be doing here. It's like, okay, I, I've identified what that plague is, but what do I do to counteract or to cancel those plagues? And the very first one that we're going to dive into this week is going to be doubt. And I wanted to start with doubt because I think this is just one that is so debilitating for people. And as I mentioned on last week's episode, that doubt is mentioned 72 different times within the Bible, right? And, and basically, I'll sum it up for you so you don't have to go find all 72 of those scriptures. But here's what it says. Don't do it. 
just simply don't do it. So if, if you're listening to this here and, and if you're struggling with doubt in any area of your life, or maybe you doubt your, your financial future or the future of our country, right? I mean, how many people right now are like looking at the state of our, our country and doubt just can start to overcome, right? Or maybe you're struggling in your marriage or with a child and you're doubting, is God really going to do something here? Are you doubting that if God is going to actually come through for you? Perhaps you're struggling in an area of sin or maybe temptation, or deep down, you're just not sure God's going to give you what you need to overcome it, right? Does that sound familiar to anybody? You might be relieved really to know that everybody, everybody has doubt, okay? Regardless of how godly you think people are or, or how well people know God, there's always times of doubt in our lives, right? And there's no shame in this. In fact, some of the strongest people, some of the strongest disciples struggled with doubts. It's very, very real. We all do it, right? So there's no shame or condemnation with this. But the question really isn't actually whether we have doubts, but it's how do we deal with doubt? And as I was prepping for this and just thinking through this, I started to think back of like when doubt really crept into my life. And at times that I would just get completely overwhelmed. But what did I do in those situations? When I thought about it and I dove into the word here, I realized that the antidote was threefold. It's threefold. And the greatest part is that this is God-given, right? This isn't something that I've just come up with. And that's the beautiful thing about the Bible. It's God's given us an instruction manual. We just complicate things because we don't go to it think of anything that comes with an instruction manual and then you just try to go build, you know, a piece of furniture from Ikea, but no, you just have to follow the instruction manual. God's given it to us. We just have to actually spend time in it. Don't take it for granted. Spend time in it and just read the word of God. There's a reason why it's called the simple gospel. It's so simple. We just tend to complicate it so often. So here it is, the antidote of doubt. I'm going to dive into this, guys, and then we're going to run through this here quickly because I want to make sure that we, we, we've got all of this, and then we'll, we'll recap it here. So here it is. It's threefold. The antidote to doubt is threefold, and it is faith, prayer, and praise. Faith, prayer, and praise. Now, I'm sure some of you are like, yeah, okay. If I, there was any eye rolls there, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you, right? Because walk with me on this here. Some of us may be thinking, yeah, right, Riley, okay, sure. How do I have faith in a time of doubt, right? Or sure, it's easy to pray, which is so often us like begging or pleading God about those circumstances. Because that's oftentimes when most people actually only pray, right? It's like when their back's against the wall, they got nothing else to turn to. So it's like begging and pleading God. But how can we actually praise him when doubt is completely overwhelming us. So we're going to dive into this. It's faith, prayer, and praise. Now, I want to make sure that we can have a working definition of doubt, though, before we really get into that. Because doubt, if we just look at like a, the core definition of it, doubt is simply to lack confidence, to consider unlikely. So we're lacking confidence. We are considering it unlikely. And as I mentioned last week too, the very first expression of doubt was in the Bible, of course, in Genesis 3, and it was when Satan was actually tempting Eve. God had given her a clear command regarding the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and he explained the consequences of actual disobedience. And Satan introduced doubt into Eve's mind 
when he simply asked, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Did God actually say that? And what he was doing was he was wanting her, he was instilling her the lack of confidence in God's command. And when she affirmed God's command, including the consequences, Satan replied with a denial, which is simply a stronger statement of doubt. What did he say? He said, you will not surely die. So here's what doubt is. It's a tool of Satan to make us lack confidence in God's word, right? His 7,487 promises to mankind. And doubt is simply a tool that Satan's using to try to just creep into our lives, to lack confidence in what God has declared and promised us throughout his word. We can think that maybe we want to lay the blame then all on Satan, like it's his fault, right? But the Bible clearly holds, it holds us accountable. We have to be accountable for our own doubts. Luke chapter 1, verses uh, like 11 through 20, when Zechariah was actually visited by the angel of the Lord, and he was told that he would have a son, he doubted the word given to him. He logically assumed that he and his wife were going to be far too old to have a kiddo. There's way too old. And in response to his doubt, here's what the angel said. He said he would mute him. He said he would be mute until the day God's promise was fulfilled. Okay, Zechariah doubted God's ability to, to simply overcome the natural obstacles. A lot of people today share that same type of doubt. Contrary to the like humanistic view that doubt is essential to life, the Bible actually says that doubt is a destroyer of life. James 1 verses 5 through 8 tells us that, that when we actually ask God for wisdom, we are to ask in faith without doubt. Without doubt. So if we doubt God's ability to respond to our request, what would be the, like, the point of asking in the first place? It wouldn't even make sense. So God says that if we doubt when we ask, we will not receive anything from him because we are unstable. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Anytime that we allow human reason to like overshadow faith in God, that's the result. That's just what we've got. So no matter how logical our reasons may seem, okay, just like Zechariah thinking that they're far too old, in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. It says, in his seemingly foolish plans are far wiser than ours. Faith is actually trusting God even when his plan goes against human reason or just experience in general. So again, I started this by saying this is threefold here. So the antidote is threefold, faith, prayer, and praise. So let's dive into faith first. Okay. Now, Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Okay. It's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we don't see. That's what faith actually is. And in Romans, it tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God hearing the word of God. So how do we hear the word of God? Well, some of, we're doing it right now. We're diving into some scripture here, right? But even in better way is read your Bible. The Bible is so unique because it tells us that it's literally God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. 
Okay, is actually Second Timothy. It's, it's, it's all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness, which means the words on the page they may look ordinary, but they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in, guys. Those words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, God gave us the Bible as a testimony of His work, certainly in the past. He gave it so us so that we will have a reason to trust him right now here in the present. Right now. So in order to stop doubting, or in this case, to have faith, trust has to be built. Okay, but it's it's hard to trust a stranger or you know, an occasional acquaintance. So when salvation actually occurs and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in, in our heart. Let's think of that. That Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart. That's just the beginning of what should be a lifelong journey of getting to know God. And the primary way of getting to know Him is simply reading the Bible, getting in the Word of God. And one thing that the Bible makes abundantly clear is that God is faithful. He's trustworthy and He's good. We serve such a good, good God. And if we fill our minds our minds with the proof of God's power and love through history, how much better are we going to be able to just overcome that doubt when it gets thrown at us? So the second part of this then, no, I'm, gonna, I'm going kind of quickly through this here, but the second part is, is prayer and then praise. So faith, prayer, and praise. Now, prayer may be the most difficult discipline, at least for me. When I very first became a believer, it was like, okay, how do I even pray? Even though it may seem overwhelming or the hardest discipline for people of just, you know, seeking first his kingdom, spending time with him, it's by far the most rewarding of these here, right? Reading scripture should actually prompt our praying. Reading scripture should prompt your praying. Reading of the word of God should actually desire you to pray more. But we got to get in the Word of God. Actually, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, we read that. It says, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So in other words, Daniel knew from Scripture that God was going to end Israel's captivity. So it was 70 years. So he read that, he knew it, and that knowledge actually spurred him to pray. Why did Daniel pray for what he already knew would happen? If it was in the Word, so it's a promise, like it's already going to happen, it actually spurred him to begin to pray. And I believe it's because he knew that God uses the prayers of his people in the working out of his eternal purposes, right? And if God uses our prayers in his plan for this world, if God uses our prayers in his plan for this world, surely we can trust him to hear our prayers and not just hear them, but to actually answer them as well. Because not only does God hear our prayers, but Luke 11 also tells us that whatever we ask for in accordance with his will shall come to pass. Okay, so I mentioned faith, prayer, and then praise. The third component of this antidote is praise. Now, because really Jesus taught that prayer should include praise, in Matthew 6, when we, when we talk about the Lord's prayer, it says, hallowed be thy name. 
So as we pray with thanksgiving, we're focusing on the blessings that we have received. So praise is actually, it took me a while to really understand this truth here. When I first became a believer, I learned about the importance of obviously sharing my needs with God in prayer and why it's good to maybe, you know, intercede for others. But it wasn't really until I began to understand the power of praise that really just allows an unlocking of the ability to overcome doubt. Before that, I didn't really know what praising actually looked like. What did it mean to like praise God? And what I've come to realize is that praising God is not something that just happens. What really like when we feel like it, when God does something great, we respond with, you know, yeah, praise God. But it's a choice. It's a choice to praise God. So even when we feel down, we feel overwhelmed, that is the exact time that we need to choose to praise God. So how do we do that? Psalm 145 teaches us actually. First, we verbalize specific evidence of God's greatness. Praise begins with remembering and verbalizing the specific acts of God. Verses 3 and 5 say, Great is the Lord and highly be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. So praise means that we, we should remember and we should think back on the mighty acts and the deeds right that God has done in our past. So let me ask you, what has God done for you? Think back right now and get specific with this. I would encourage you just to list them, right? Verbalize them. And then proclaim these very, very specific things that God's done for you. Even in the last seven days, what has God done for you? There's so many things. So we verbalize that specific evidence of God's greatness. And then second, we got to focus on God's character, and adore him. So what does it mean to actually adore? Adoration, it's similar to like thanking God for what he's done in our lives, but adoring him, it's a little bit different because it focuses on the who and not the what. We can thank God for, you know, what he's done for us, but when we adore him, we're focusing on the who, not the what. We're able to like freely praise him, not just for what he's done, but for who his character is. And he is gracious, he's compassionate, sovereign, righteous, he's faithful. Scripture says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, he's rich in love. The Lord is good to all, he has compassion on all that he has made. Right? The Lord is trustworthy in all the promises and faithful in all that he does. As we praise God for who he is, our focus then moves from really the actions of God toward truly knowing him for who he really is, a God who's loving, kind, and faithful to all of his promises. So we can also praise him and take comfort in knowing that God's in control. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose, right? This means that nothing that enters our lives comes to us unless it's ordained by God or allowed by God, right? Even the evil things that are happening in our world right now, or just in, in your world right now, God promises to use it for our good. 
It doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go great in our life. We know that, right? But God promises to use our hardships, those tough times, in order that he may may conform us to the image of his son. So no matter what you're facing, if you can begin to just praise God in, in his goodness, kindness, faithfulness, we can then start to really truly believe that he is all those things then our perception of him becomes much bigger and our problems actually start to become much, much smaller and begin to actually fade away. So I'm going to recap this for you guys then. The antidote to doubt is threefold. It's faith, prayer, and praise. Faith, which comes by the hearing of the word, hearing of the word of God. So in order for us to have faith in God, we got to study to know what he's actually said. And once we have an understanding of what he's done in the past— what he's promised us for the present and the future, and then what we can expect from him in that actual future. Then we're able to act in faith instead of doubt. Next is prayer. Now, God uses prayers. Remember, he uses the prayers of his people in the working out of his eternal purpose. And if God uses our prayers in his plan for this world, he absolutely, he surely, we can trust him. We can trust that he's going to hear our prayers and he's going to answer them in whatever we ask for in accordance with his will shall come to pass. And then praise as we praise God for who he is. Our focus moves from the actions of God toward really truly knowing him for who he really is, a God who's loving, he's kind, he's faithful to all of his promises. God doesn't want his people to doubt. He wants us to be confident in his love confident in his protection, his watchfulness over us. So don't hesitate to call on him because he has promised to answer us. I'll leave you with one last scripture, guys. Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. There's doubt, guys. We'll hit the next one next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the King's Council Podcast. For more information on the King's Council and becoming the CEO of your own life, visit kingscouncilcoaching.com today. You can also follow us on Instagram at kingscouncilcoaching. We'll see you next time.